Hi, I'm Monica. And I'm the other Monica. And we are two Monicas and a microphone. Join us each week to talk about nothing serious. We'll talk about life, differences of opinion, our favorite obsessions, and any topic we find interesting. So grab your checkbook and get ready to write a big check. No, nothing. <laughs> I was laughing. It was not audible. I was like, great. My laugh is not audible right now. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was not audible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. For real, I was. Okay. And I was like, why is nothing coming out? Because I can't hear myself. Uh, okay. Okay. I don't know about you, Monica, but I tend to get obsessed with things. I'm curious if you get obsessed with things. I do. I definitely get obsessed with things. I get obsessed with things and then I burn out and usually don't return to them. That's usually how I tend to my obsessions, if you will. But at any given time, I will have an obsession. I can think back probably to the first obsession that I had that other people would have caught on to. And that was Michael Jordan when I was... 10 years old, I watched a video come fly with me all about Michael Jordan. And I also played basketball and I just thought he, he was okay. such an inspiring person. And I loved basketball and I watched that video every day and it grew over the course of six years to where I had every sports illustrated, every basketball books and my entire room was floor to ceiling Michael Jordan posters. That's amazing. He is a fascinating character. Yes. So I hope a whole podcast about your obsession with Michael. Absolutely. Jordan. I would love that. Me too. I do remember my first obsession. I started homeschooling before. I mean, maybe after it was just legal. We're talking the early 90s and everything was still quasi legal or not legal <laughs> with all sorts of rules and restrictions. Mm -hmm. I ended up watching JFK. And I was fascinated. So I went home from my family's house in Texas that summer and I read the book. Oh my. I know now that it was very Hollywood, mm -hmm. but I was obsessed. And since we were homeschooling, we used to take trips to the Detroit Public Library. That's where I grew up. I learned how to use the card catalog system. I ended up ordering things from other libraries and doing interlibrary transfers from all over the country. I looked at microfiche. I took photos. I took things home. I highlighted. I believed deep down in my heart that I could solve the puzzle of who killed JFK. And now I know it was our own government. I've got my tinfoil hat on. I will take it off and put it down. I think that sounds like an intriguing topic. I cannot wait to hear you go into on another podcast as well. Tinfoil hats are totally fine, um, but you're right. Got to take them off sometimes. <laughs> Everybody listening, don't tell anyone. Uh, <laughs> other, other things that I've been obsessed with, I played the guitar for a couple years and I played for hours every day. Recent obsessions include orchids, sourdough. I'm an Aquarius, so being a collector is part of the sign, and I've collected everything from tiny shoes to cards with shoes to martini glasses, champagne glasses, wine glasses. I would buy one every place I went to visit. I collect shoes also, like full-size wearable <laughs> shoes. Yes, <laughs> but I I, I'm have. also a woman, so I don't consider myself unique in that aspect for our inaugural podcast is going to be 
something that I was obsessed with for just a few weeks. It's trailed on a little bit after that because of the topic. It may contain language for a mature audience. So just be aware of who's listening around you. I was fascinated and obsessed with it. And I hope you will be curious. I know I am. So right now we're going to play you a clip from The Vow aired on HBO. It's the official trailer. And here we go. If we understood the world, and if we understood ourselves, that's worth everything. ESP Nexium is a methodology that allows people to optimize their behavior. Nexium is the umbrella company. Keith was the founder. He was a legend. Our main belief is to have people experience more joy in their lives. It's a worldwide organization. When conventional solutions don't work, maybe the unconventional way of thinking does. I was looking around at all these people that just didn't seem joyful. I started to get concerned. There's a secret organization in Nixium. They sign a lifetime vow of obedience, and they're branding girls. And they're trying to recruit other women to do this. I'm so strong. Like, you'd never be able to do what I just did. I always want to earn my authority. There's a lot of things about the organization. It's just not right. Our commitment is our power. You stay. There's no good way to leave, ever. I have to expose what's going on. This has to be stopped. There are a group of people we're going to the press. We are filing criminal charges. You're branding my wife. Everybody is a blend of good and bad. We're playing some sort of game. Chances are I'm going to win. Nobody joins a cult. They join a good thing. I want to give you a spoiler alert. This podcast will spoil the ending. If you're at all curious about the Vow documentary on HBO, watch it later, but listen to the show. Okay, Monica, I don't really remember. Can you remind me how you started watching the Vow? It kind of just seemed to come out of nowhere when you told me about it. It did. My, my friend Anne loves true crime like I love true crime all the time. She just asked me one day over text, she said, hey, have you seen The Vow? And I said, no. She said, it's true crime, but not gory crime. Mm -hmm. So I was immediately intrigued. There were a few episodes out and I binged them all in one night, I believe. And after that, I watched every single episode on the night it aired or the next day. And I kicked my husband out of the living room. (laughs) I got to watch it in peace and really just be in a sense horrified because of the story. It's based on the leader. I'm going to refer to him as the villain going forward. Keith Ranieri, who began what everyone joining thought was a self-help group called Nixpium, was supposed to bring joy to people. That was the idea, that they were going to help themselves become better people and really bring more joy to their lives and in turn help other people find more joy in their lives. And as you start out the docu-series, you think, okay, well, you know, how bad can that be? It sounds fine. You do notice the documentary and a lot of the the footage in it is very focused on Keith Raniere because let's face it, he's a narcissist. He had himself videotaped and photographed and had meetings videotaped. He designed this organization with another villain, Nancy Saltzman. You can actively see how they work together in order to craft an organization that keeps people in it 
through achieving different levels, through paying money, lots and lots and lots of money, thousands of dollars per course, per week, in order to advance in those levels with the idea that if they got high enough, and mind you, by getting high enough, it also means that they are required to bring in new recruits. I'm calling it an organization right now because we haven't gotten into the other aspects of it. So the, the higher the level you went, the more money you were capable of achieving. And eventually you could own your own center and you could be raking in all the big bucks, helping other people achieve joy. So how does that sound to you, Monica? I after listening to you talk and hearing the trailer, I can see how people were drawn to this. I don't really blame them. It sounds great. Um, I feel like it'd be something I would think was really great. I love pouring into other people. I love seeing people grow. But also on the flip side of that, when I listen to the trailer, I would be mindful of anything that was based solely on how you needed to think. And um, I think that the villain here, Keith, definitely um, knew what he was doing when he made this. This is just a guess of mine because if he's a narcissist, that means he's a predator and he was creating the perfect web to trap victims. And that I, actually kind of hurts my heart. It hurt my heart by the end of it as well. As I watched the first couple, I realized at one point in my life, I could have been very taken in by this. The other thing that shocked me is one woman admits how much she went into debt trying to achieve the different levels in Nixium to become a coach and a proctor and all the, the different titles that they had to start making money. She went $80,000 in debt in a year. She took tons of time off. I could not understand how people were able to take so much time off and have a legitimate job and pay for all of this stuff. And, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. So I was shocked that people were just so willing to pay all that money in hopes that they would eventually be making some money. Keith, at one point, had another company that was a multi-level marketing Ponzi scheme. And this is really no different. The difference is in the guiding principles and people thought that they were supposed to be imparting joy and improving themselves. One way that Keith was able to get people to buy into that was by using something called NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, and it's a mild form of hypnosis. It has to do with the tone that you speak, watching someone's body language, touching people at the right time to impart a somewhat hypnotic message to get them under your control. And Nancy Saltzman, at the time Keith started Nixium, was the number two NLP woman in, mm. not just woman, person in the world. So she was very adept at being able to control people, even in a large room, using these techniques. And I just found that very scary because if you had people in that room that were highly susceptible, then that's how it was able to grow and how he was able to keep people in the organization, even when it wasn't working out for them. Moving to how it turns from, I viewed it as an organization to then how I viewed it as a cult. It really came when one of the main characters in the documentary, Bonnie, who ended up married to Mark Vicente, who was Keith's right-hand man and ended up creating all of the media content, including promotional videos, documentary, documenting planning meetings and videos. Mark filmed everything, and most of it was about Keith. I mean, you would not believe. They they filmed volleyball games. 
Keith would invite everyone to watch him play volleyball, literally watch him play that volleyball with other people. Bizarre. Bizarre. And how can no one tell that that guy's a narcissist? I have no idea. But these women, including Allison Mack, do you recognize her name? I do because she is an actress from one of my most beloved series ever. An obsession of mine, still ongoing, is Smallville. So she she would show up just to watch Keith play volleyball and then chat with him for a few minutes after. I think maybe in high school I would have done that for a guy that I had a huge crush on. <laughs> but we're talking yes. about grown adults. Yes, um, high school, yes. Mm-hmm. Once I turned even 19, I think I was past that. Bonnie eventually starts seeing a bunch of red flags and decides to leave. At this point, she's married to Mark with Keith's permission and blessing. And Keith performed the ceremony. And she tells Mark that she's going to leave with or without him because what's going on, what she sees is wrong. That opens Mark's eyes. He starts asking questions and digging and searching. In the digging and searching, his partner and co-founder or co-owner of the center was Sarah Edmonds. They both ran it together. So he started asking her questions and she admits to him, there are things about Nixium that are dark and deep and secret. And he had no idea. And it all has to do with this subgroup called DOS. Basically, DOS is a master-slave setup designed by Keith where certain women are selected and sold on the idea of getting closer to Keith or being part of this extra special group. And in order to do that, they have to give collateral. By give collateral, it's something they would be seriously ashamed of, could be blackmailed with, their family could be blackmailed with, or make them extremely angry, hurt. So it was something deeply personal, anything from risky photo to a letter about how much you can't stand your parents or your family, a deep, dark family secret. Allison Mack was one of the first. What do you think about that? That is a little shocking to me that she was one of the first, which means she must have been in that for a long time. Right. I it, I always just associate her as such a bubbly, fun little person. And it's shocking to me that she would want to be subjected to this. And again, hurts my heart because clearly she was looking for something. She was looking for a connection. She was looking for approval. She was comparing herself to other people. And I just think that, again, breaks my heart. Because I know she had to have been young when she got sucked into that. All of that is true. As you watch the documentary, she is still bright and bubbly. And she does want a connection. As you hear the people who she was master over, you see a different side of her. And she really liked the power and she liked being in control. Okay, so she went from being seduced into this DOS group to actually going from slave to master. Did that happen a lot or was that unique to her? One of the interesting aspects of how Keith arranged this group is his objective was to have relationships with many of the women in the group. From what I've seen, it's about 150 total women at any any point. Many of them he had been having a relationship with for years, especially the women who had started in Nixium when he first started. I don't have their names listed, 
there were at least two women that he had ongoing relationships with. And part of the deal was you didn't tell anybody. So he was having mm. a with Allison. He was having a relationship with these other two women. There are rumors that he fathered a child with a woman and sent her away to have the child. Allison was eventually tasked with getting her slave to sleep with Keith. Mm. Yeah. That's disgusting. In order to stay in DOS. Uh, the, the control that was exerted over the women in this group, I found it mind-blowing. I just couldn't understand how anyone would agree to this. They had to send pictures of what they were going to eat and count their calories. Their master had to approve whatever they ate. If they failed to text back after their master texted them within a certain number of seconds, it wasn't even minutes or hours, they were required to do penance. And so the penance could be anything from taking a cold shower for X number of minutes to standing up for X number of minutes, going without food for a day or two, all sorts of things as punishment for not being ready. They called it being ready. Are you ready? And Allison really exerted her power over this other girl named India Oxenberg. And India, you sound like you have a question. Oh, India, that name is very familiar. I was going to say, how do I know that? So India's mother is Catherine Oxenberg, and she used to be one of the actresses in Dallas when it was a big hit on TV. Catherine took her daughter to one of Keith's classes in California when she was 19. What do you think? Well, I'm just kind of shocked. I wonder, it makes me wonder, did Keith decide who had the master-slave relationship? And then is it because they were both in Hollywood that Alice and Mac got with India? I think that that is just intriguing to me that the more famous names coming up here were also connected, considering this was a group of hundreds, if probably not thousands at some point of people. Well, that's part of the power play, right? Because how they were able to recruit and maintain people was by having famous celebrities in their organization. If you see one of your favorite celebrities there moving up the ranks and doing everything they're told, you're more likely to follow their lead because you, you look up to them and respect them even though you don't know them. So the celebrity aspect to growing this cult was very important, but how Allison became India's master, they don't really go into. At okay. some point, at some point, India was also required to recruit slaves to go underneath her. But I'll get I'll get to that in, in a minute. I really want to talk about how India ended up leaving Nixium and the catalyst behind breaking up Nixium. And that has to do it's a three-part process. One of it is his name is Frank Parlato and he was once employed by Nixium as a publicist and Keith fired him because he accused Keith of embezzling $90 million. So Frank decides to get some revenge and reports Nixium to the FBI in 2015. Nothing happened. Then he decides he's going to write an expose regarding certain aspects of what's going on in DOS to the women. When he decided to do that, people took note. Sarah Edmondson, whom we've mentioned, comes clean to her husband that what was really going on in DOS was this master-slave relationship. And it went so far as they would brand the women in the group. They had a doctor who was in the group and they branded some sort of symbol on all the women without anesthetic and that was it. Did the women get branded against their will? Was it a type of torture or was it kind oh. of a mixture? 
you could say it was against their will, but it wasn't because they agreed to it. But how much will could they really exert? Correct. Okay. So how much, how much could they say no if they wanted to stay in the program? The program or the group already had blackmail material on them. Photos had forced them to do things with Keith sexually against their, mm. not against their will, but they were complicit. So yes. it's, it's, it's a very fine line because no one felt like they could say no. I understand. Frank is a big part of it. Then you bring in Sarah. Bonnie had already opened Mark's eyes and he was digging deeper. You have Sarah who finally goes public with DOS and the branding in 2017. And there's a photo of her on the cover of a newspaper. All of a sudden the lid is blown off. Not to mention the third piece to this triangle that blew up Nixium is Catherine Oxenberg, India's mother, who once she realized her daughter was becoming more and more isolated, she was only focused on Nixium, Keith, and moving forward. She wasn't listening to anyone else. Catherine read these exposés and was worried for her daughter. She really felt like she needed to save her daughter. She was a force to be reckoned with as a mother, which I respect. She went to no ends to make sure the FBI listened, to make sure that other law enforcement listened, hire attorneys, and work with Frank Parlato about how to dismantle Nixium and go after Keith and the people behind DOS. So as I watched the documentary, that's what came out for me, is that it was a combination of Catherine, Frank, and Sarah blowing up Nixium from the inside out. And were there any prosecutions or arrests? Do you know? Did you did you find that out at the end of the vow? Or where did the vow kind of end? And then um, where is it now? Are you able to tell me that? Well, so that's where my obsession took on a life of its own because the vow ends and you don't really know what's happening with Keith. So you have to go to Google. If you go to Google, Frank has a website called The Frank Report. He is obsessed with Keith. He's obsessed with keeping track of Keith, letting everybody know what Keith is doing, what he's being prosecuted for, the status of every case against every villain in the story. It's really great. It's a singular source. It's called The Frank Report. I highly recommend it if you're curious. He also has some, some things in there about other celebrity types. It ends up that there's another docu-series called Seduced on Stars, and it's India Oxenberg, it's her story. And that takes you all the way to Keith being captured as he fled to Mexico City, which is where another center was. So he flees to Mexico City, the FBI captured him, and he was put on trial. Any, any idea what he was tried for? Like, what, what do you think? Like, just a guy who's a narcissist who wants to sleep with a bunch of women again. Right. Their, well, like, what, <laughs> right. what could you possibly? The only things I was thinking um, would be, that's why I asked that question about, you know, the branding. Was that considered torture? I mean, I would just guess maybe either rape or the one thing that seems to get most criminals is tax evasion. <laughs> one of those two. Well, so you're really close. He was charged with racketeering, racketeering conspiracy, wire fraud, wire fraud conspiracy, forced labor conspiracy, sex trafficking, sex trafficking conspiracy, and attempted sex trafficking. Okay, sex trafficking, interesting. All so right. that, that's where they arrived with the, the whole DOS. 
but the racketeering, that's because, you know, he was taking money from people and living a lavish lifestyle mm -hmm. all under the guise of helping. Which I do have one last question. As you've gone through this, it's just really made me think, were all of the women involved in Nexvium were they at risk of being abused or was this more underground? It was definitely underground because you had to be invited in, you had to provide the collateral and you were selected. No one was supposed to talk about it. Again, the women who were having relationships with Keith never told anyone else. Okay. The only way Allison knew India had been asked to do anything with Keith is because Allison was the one asking at Keith's direction. Let's just put that out there. Right. Okay. The master and all of the puppet. Monica, thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I know that it seems easy to just sit here and talk about a documentary, but you actually take notes and listen. And I appreciate that because now I don't have to sit down and watch The Vow, even though I was slightly interested in it and take all that time. And now I know more about it because I was very intrigued by it because of um, Allison Mack. Consider this your cliff notes on The Vow. Anyone listening? Mm -hmm. Um, I know you've been wanting to discuss that for a long time. And since it was on the podcast, we hadn't been able to. Monica, do you see any similarities in Nixvium with any other cults? You know, that's a great question. Unfortunately, I'm not an expert, but The Vow does use different experts to point out similarities to other cults. We're probably both familiar with the Branch Davidians. Yes. Um, the Manson family was considered a cult. The most famous one could be Heaven's Gate, and then the People's Temple, which is also called Jonestown, and they, they all committed suicide. So there are cults that take things to an even further extreme, if you could think of it that way. But there are similarities. There are common traits of cults throughout history, and they're very apparent when you do a, use a little bit of critical thinking. This is a story from The Atlantic. They list seven signs of being in the cult. We'll have the full length in our show notes. One is opposes critical thinking, isolating members and penalizing members who leave. That was obvious because Bonnie says it was really hard to leave. So does Sarah Edmonds. Isolating members, we see that with India Oxenberg. Emphasizing social doctrines outside of known truths. Their special doctrine was bringing joy and using NLP in order to better themselves. Seeking or demanding inappropriate loyalty to their leaders, that's plainly obvious in Nixium. Dishonoring family members, making sure that the person never wanted to be a part of their family again. Crossing moral boundaries is a big one separating themselves from the church family and lifelong friends. So that could be another way of isolating members and penalizing those who leave. Those are seven characteristics that are evident when you study cults across the board. Do you have any resources for people who like India's mother? You know, where could you go if you think that you or someone you love is trapped in something like this? Um, and you don't happen to be, you know, a rich TV star, <laughs> what could the average person do? So there are a couple of resources. One of them is called Cult Escape, and it's an online resource if you feel you are trapped in a religious system, can't get out. Cult 
escape.com is one of those resources. And if you think you have a friend who is in that situation, they can guide you and help you understand the different signs of recognizing a cult as well as how to get your friend or yourself out of it. Okay. And I think that we'll have some resources in our show notes as well. Absolutely. Whew. I thought we weren't going to be serious. <laughs> I think it was, uh, it's definitely a serious topic, but I was entertained, enlightened, and I learned some new things. So I think that's great. All right. Well, good. Everyone listening, I do hope that if you are curious, you take advantage of watching The Vow on HBO and Seduced or just do a brief Google search, enlighten yourself. Don't be a victim to something good and having it turned evil against mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. You're meeting us for the first time here on the podcast. Um, so I think it is pretty fitting that everyone learns how these two Monica's met. I particularly love the story because it's very ingrained in my mind and it kind of changed my life. Um, Monica, tell me, how did we meet? Because everyone needs to know. I agree. You came into my dorm room. We were on the same dorm floor freshman year of college and you bounced in with your little curls that you would do with the hot iron um, and you bounced in with your little curls and you every said, day, every day, which is so funny. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Monica. You're Monica. I'm Monica. And it was just the cutest I'll never forget you bouncing in there. I was actually sitting on the floor putting things away. Um, my parents had just left a couple hours before. And um, as we talked, you know, we could see by looking at each other, we were uh, brunettes with green eyes, our name, um, both Monica, and we had January birthdays. So I think that it was just very serendipitous that we got on that floor and that you came down and you kind of pulled me out of my hermit hole, if you will. And I would never have known that. Yeah, a lot of people don't um, about me, but I'm a little socially shy, but very outgoing. You took me down to a fraternity party, I think that night or the next. And, of course I did. Um, yes, I was and it was just, <laughs> yeah, but it was just super innocent and just fun. And you really encouraged and pushed me um, just in a few different social ways um, throughout the years. And I really appreciate that. And I've always appreciated our friendship. So I'm glad we get to renew it through this podcast. Me too. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that little story. And now that you've gotten to know how we met, you will also enjoy what we have in store for you during the course of our podcast, which is about nothing serious. Seriously. Everybody needs a break. I need a break. I need a break every day, <laughs> which really opens the door to the question of why did you ask me to do a podcast? I'm so confused. <laughs> I think I was probably bored. Um, Good reason to start something new. Yeah. Absolutely. And I was listening to a podcast as I was in a current obsession of weaving wall art. Have to it tell just me more made, later. It, absolutely. And it just made me think Monica is very smart. I love listening to her talk. I enjoy her. She's entertaining. I think we should do a podcast together. So I just picked up my phone and texted you right away. I think we need to do a podcast. And really just sometimes when you're hit with something, you just got to run with it. I love that you thought of me and we hadn't been in touch for a while. I'm going to be on a big ego, ego high. <laughs> that just made me feel really good. Thank you. Awesome. Well, it, you. I love it. I love it.
I love pouring into other people, so great. So now that you've told me the story about how we met, it's come back to me and I do remember seeing your name on mm -hmm. the wall and I was like, huh, I'm Monica, I'm Monica. And I do remember just thinking that we needed to be friends because we're both named Yes, Monica. and I didn't really know any other Monicas in my entire lifetime. I hadn't met any other Monicas. So I am personally excited about things to come. I know that this isn't a serious podcast, but of course, sometimes a lot of serious subject matters, but some of the subject matters that we have slated up. Vampires, Michael Jordan. Love them. Husbands, we both have a husband. Um, <laughs> not shared. We don't, we, don't, we share a name, but not a husband. Share, no, we do not share the same husband. <laughs> it's not the, that type of family. No, no. And then um, movies from the 90s. Those are just some of the things that we've slated up. I think we have That's over sourdough. different. Sourdough, again, I feel like is the subject maybe for when people are looking for something to listen to before they go to bed. I don't know. We might have to ask the listeners if they want to hear All about right, 40 bye. minutes about sourdough. Come on. <laughs> it's riveting. The bubbles. That is. I will have to say. Okay, fine. Monica is obsessed with sourdough she sent me sourdough in a jar randomly and uh you asked you for it i did i did it wasn't random oh random oh random <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we can slide sourdough into a cooking oh yes we both love oh. to cook yes and i hope you're ready for another episode because we have one ready to go right now we're so excited you were a part of our very first podcast we can't wait to bring you more great content, some laughs, and nothing serious on a regular basis. For extended show notes, please head over to twomonicaspodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Two Monicas, Instagram at Two Monicas, and even Pinterest, which is my favorite, at Two Monicas Podcast. Or please connect with us directly at twomonicaspodcast at gmail.com. That's the number two, monicaspodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to give credit to Kevin McLeod for providing the music. Glitter Blast, Fearless First, Half Mystery, Immersed, and On My Way. Full music credits can also be found in the show notes.